Hey everybody, welcome back to the Offshore Insights Podcast, where we share captivating individuals and stories connected by water. I'm your host, Evan Luth. We're stoked you could join us today, and I hope you enjoy your listening experience. As a young boy, life was beautiful, and Seb was loving every moment of it. Living in the desirable playground of La Jolla, California, he had a loving family and a hero of a father to guide the way. Having become more of an enigma than a mortal in his eyes, his father seemed only to represent joy, strength, and success to him. But appearances can be deceiving, and as time would tell, all was not well in the well-dressed world of Vern Sloven. As Seb grew older, His father's apparent grip on reality, success, and happiness was rapidly weakening, and with it, questions and concerns began to arise. With a relatively short period of years, his father's depression progressed rapidly, leading to his eventual suicide. As the devastation ensued, Seb and his family were swept up in the struggle of coping in this new reality. With this world turned upside down, what was once his place of solace, the ocean now only reminded him of the hole that had been carved out and left in the wake of his father's death. With the slow passage of time, Sebastian was able to reestablish and further develop his deep connection to the ocean in an even more meaningful way than before. To talk about his journey with us, we have returned guest Sebastian Sloven on the show today, this time to talk about the exciting release of his new memoir, Ashes in the Ocean, where he chronicles his life living through and learning from the loss of his father at a young age. Seb and I catch up while I'm on the road in the beginning of a road trip up in Bend, Oregon, and our connection isn't all that great, so please forgive me and bear with me on the audio quality on this one. I promise to avoid it in the future. However, I think you'll get the gist of it, and you'll enjoy both reading the book and very much so hearing from the man himself. So without further ado, I give you Sebastian Sloven. Thank you very much for coming back on the Offshore Insights podcast. It's awesome to have you back. Thanks for having me. Well, congratulations on the release of uh, Ashes in the Ocean. I loved reading it. It was super cool. And um, thank you for giving me an early copy to dig into. And um, as I mentioned to you before we were recording here, it just had a lot of meaning to me personally. But I think that you did a really wonderful job of communicating some stuff that's pretty universally relatable for anybody, you know, regardless of their life circumstance, but certainly will speak very directly to people who have been through similar kinds of life traumas and you know, try to process those and learn from them as well. So good job. Thank it's impressive. Yeah. Plus it was cool to get to know a uh, little Seb. Yeah. <laughs> Could see some of the childhood memories. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So I was thinking just to get started, maybe you could tell us, give us a basic kind of, you know, understanding or summary of kind of who your dad was to you as a kid. Um, you know, obviously he was an incredibly enigmatic figure and a big character and, you know, sometimes larger than life, you know, a lot of people's minds and um, was hoping you could just kind of tell us a little bit about what that was like growing up and, and seeing him in your eyes. Yeah. I think you sort of nailed it, but he was the epitome of larger than life to me, you know, just like, you know, pretty big guy, stocky, you know, good at like athletic builds and kind of legend hero. All those words come to mind. You know, just, an incredible swimmer. And I, I have, you know, pretty good memories of just seeing him in different areas, like whether it was at work or at the beach and everyone just looked up to him. And so I kind of, that was the, that's like the vision that I have, the ultimate, you know, like legend. Yeah. Not, not using that liberally. Like he, he was a legendary figure. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. And then he died uh, when I was six and died by suicide when I was six. And, that kind of, you know, obviously when you're that age, I didn't really ever see his flaws, you know, in person or maybe I saw him, I didn't, didn't register. And so that kind of stayed with me that, you know, whether he was or wasn't, you know, um, in my mind, he was a heroic figure. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, that kind of 
is a nice segue into something that I saw really emerging as a theme in, in, in the early chapters, which was paying attention to the power or the influence of the stories that we tell ourselves about the past or about whatever, just present stories too, but, but the power of storytelling and how basically that has a lot of impact on the way that we receive or, or process information as well as traumatic life events. And I was wondering if maybe you could elaborate a little more on the roles of the stories, you know, and perceptions that you held as, at the time as a child and how that either coincided or, or inhibited your ability to process and see things more objectively. Yeah. You know, and so just expanding too on, on that, just everything I had heard about him, you know, my dad was from South Africa uh-huh. uh, and was like on, from an early age on track to be like one of the best swimmers, you know, best swimmers in the country training at a high level since he was I think, 11 or something. Yeah. And ended up making the, national team when he was 16 the spring box traveled around traveled around south africa traveled around europe and then got a got a scholarship to s southern methodist university and did really well and and was you know was always like the best or very close to being the best and those were stories i heard not just from him or from my mom um but from from family from friends and stuff like that and so I think though that sort of uh, narrative of like, this is the way to be successful is like win, be the best. And he kind of did that too, not just in swimming, but he was a successful stockbroker for a long time, was kind of, you know, like a you know, machine like cold calling people and making the deal and that kind of, you know, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, I think that narrative really impacted me as a young person, young man. Uh, my sense of value or self-worth was like completely tied with being the best. Which, yeah. 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 It works really well when you're, <laughs> when you're, you're winning. When you're, when you're winning. Yeah. Like, those yeah. extrinsic values are tough to maintain. Yeah. 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 It didn't work out. It didn't work out for my dad. It didn't work out that well. Yeah. And probably not for most, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. And I'm sure that, that like you said, it, it not only was it, um, you know, segmented in such a way that you could you could follow in his footsteps athletically or, 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 you know, train yourself, apply yourself to that discipline, but it was pervasive throughout his life that it was kind of just his approach, his philosophy to approaching any challenge, you know, was not only to excel and be the best, but be a bit bullheaded about it and kind of just like plow through, you know, sheer force and will. And unfortunately, obviously that's not the way life works out all the time, despite your commitments. Yeah. I imagine that was pretty, pretty tough to get past as far as, Oh, that's not that's not the way to go about things all the time, you know. <laughs> yeah, it took me a, yeah, a long time to just start to see the, the downside of that. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, one of the other things that seemed to emerge as a theme early on was, you know, certainly, obviously during your relationship with your dad and, and your interactions with him from an early age, nature was really important in his life, but also in yours, and it seemed to then take on an even deeper and greater meaning, you know, after his suicide, where I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is it seemed like you were able to find some kind of solace or support from nature where the relationships you had on land were kind of falling short or, or not fulfilling what you really need at the time. And just wondering if maybe you can speak to whatever the role that nature played in your life and and your processing of all that. Yeah, absolutely. So Right, my dad, as I mentioned, he grew up in the ocean, you know, swimming a ton off the coast of South Africa. He developed this, you know, strong bond with nature, I think, from a young age. And and he passed that along to me. You know, a lot of my memories of him are around La Jolla in the, in the ocean or at the beach, either Wind and Sea or at the La Jolla Cove and swimming with him or boogie boarding with him. And when he died... Uh, you know, the ocean, nature, and all that was already very special to me. And then when he died, we, you know, he, he was cremated, and his ashes were spread in a few different spots. But um, one of my strongest memories was spreading his ashes in La Jolla, La Jolla Cove. And it wasn't necessarily like an automatic shift, but I, you know, shortly after that, started to see the co or the 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 ocean, the sand, the animals as like my dad, my, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like circle of life. Type. Yeah. 
And I, it became almost like a place of worship for me where I would go. And if I miss, no matter how much I miss my dad, I, if I could get to the beach, it was like my time with him. And so I it treated that as like a swimming in the water as, as hanging out with family. Right. Right. And that's, you know, for a time was, was specific to La Jolla, the La Jolla Cove and these kind of places where I had a lot of memories with him. And then as I got older and had the opportunity to do some bodyboarding in different places, I started to, you know, see that the ocean's all connected and started to see that everywhere I went. And that was really, I think a lifesaver for me where, as you kind of alluded to my, my, uh, dynamic or you know i wasn't doing that well on land yeah sort of trying to avoid the pain of losing my dad and the ocean to save me yeah well and i mean i think that you know to your point about the difficulties on land that you know a lot of what you were going through is absolutely part of you know the stages of grieving and, and a very natural response you know for most people and it seems that it's just unfortunate that it coincided at such an age for you where i think that as a young child the stigmas that we have as a culture and as a society around things like suicide or mental depression and, or rather mental health disorders um, are very strong for anybody at any age. But I think that it becomes accentuated, you know, for kids because you haven't really learned how to navigate that space yet with your peers. And, and emotional intelligence is usually a little bit slower to grow, you know, than yeah, some of the other cues lot, we yeah. take. Yeah, or a lot slower. Exactly. So, you know, you, you alluded to a lot of, um, or, or gave many examples rather throughout the book of, of all these various attempts of running away, of trying to, trying to cope, self-medicate, all this stuff, and, and kind of how with time, the, uh, all this stuff that you had tried to push down, you know, just begin to bubble up and, and manifest in all sorts of, you know, adverse ways that obviously were not healthy for you and probably just made it harder and I'm sure more difficult for you in the long run. Um, I guess I was wondering if you might be able to basically take a stab at explaining why you think it is that we tend to judge or cast aside certain disorders or dispositions that people have and um, where, where that stigma comes from, you know, as opposed to us just being open and, and finding a space to receive people and try and understand what they're going through. Yeah. It's a big question. Big question. Yeah. <laughs> I'll attempt. I'll attempt. Um, and I, you know, I'll, I'll try and speak from more of my experience of it. And I think that there's just, there's something, you know, something particular about mental health and about suicide where I think the, the sort of view in a lot of cultures, not everywhere, but a lot of cultures is that is, is weakness. Mm-hmm. Right. And my dad, I think South Africa, and, you know, and this is also time, uh, you know, when, when he was growing up in the, in the 50s, 60s, uh, 70s, it was, you know, it was even less, um, it was less known about it, right? But I think it was generally seen as a weakness. And so it becomes just like for families to, it's just like safer to not talk about it or to, you know, to, to avoid it. And and not be seen as like weak in the community or weak in the, you know, in the greater network. Right. And, um, and I think it's just one of those things that, right. If you haven't dealt with it or don't know someone who's been through it, you don't really, it's hard to understand, you know, it's like kind of intangible to as well, you know, you get like a, have a heart attack or a broken arm. It's like a pretty clear right. issue. And this is a little bit more, you know, something's going on in your head. I don't really know what it is. Maybe it's like a character flaw, you know, something. So I think it's it's wrapped into all all sorts of you know unconscious thoughts about like you know, not being strong and especially for men I think this is a, as a, for my dad in particular this was a you know he was his whole deal was right being the best being that being a man like bringing in bringing home the bacon <laughs> and winning all the medals medals and bacon yeah, yeah. medals and bacon yeah. and <laughs> and, um, and then you have him dealing with you know, depression and all sorts of stuff and, and mental health stuff. And, and you know, he doesn't feel comfortable. That, that goes completely, him admitting to having issues like that would go, you know, completely counter to his, like, all his values, right? And then he dies and then that stuff, then, you know, I'm there, a little theater in my family. And um, it's like, you know, what do you do with that? The, the, as a six-year-old, I think, 
I think for, for a lot of people, but especially the initial, like I didn't really, my, it wasn't like a choice. Like I'm going to choose to like kind of um, not deal with this. It was like, I needed to not to like run away or do anything I could to numb it to survive. Basically. Yeah. Default survival mechanism for sure. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, they, they tend to do that. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. There's a lot to be, you know, to be faced and there's a ton of fear around facing difficult things, but also the unknown. And I think that what you pointed out about speaking to the unknown component, you know, when, when you try and find people outside of you to be supportive or to help that it can be difficult for them, because like you said, it is intangible. It's, it's invisible for them. And, um, like you said, if it's a broken arm or it's whatever you're bleeding, like I, I know what to do. I know how to help you. And I think that that's kind of most people's propensity is to try and find some cure, some answer, some definite solution and to, to feel like they can help you. And it seems like in a weird sort of way, that's kind of what makes people uncomfortable in some cases and distance themselves from being supportive or helpful is that they feel like they can't be fulfilled in their own ability to help you because they don't know how or they don't understand it or whatever it is. And it seems like that just kind of compounds with the, the organic discomforts of talking about something that's that difficult too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you had a cool um, opportunity as you grew older here where you got to interact with your dad's friend, JD, and you got to go visit him and have this amazing talk where there was a bit of a realization that seemed to come out of it, where he was talking about how he had lost his father to suicide in a, you know, arguably slightly more traumatic way even. And it seemed like that was a bit of an aha moment for you to find someone who'd been through that experience and who could actually understand and who was like a living example of whatever that that there's an alternate path to how to handle this stuff. And that maybe you can fill in and just kind of talk a little bit about how that shifted your perspective and what was going on leading up to that point, as well as how that changed for you. Yeah. 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 No, that's, I think up until that point, right, it is, so my dad died when I was six. And then for, you know, the next several years, I, I completely avoided the topic. And, right, we talked about this. We, um, I didn't feel like it was, uh, it just, you know, it was uh, not a welcome thing in the community to talk about. You know, I think, you know, if, I would sort of observe my mom talking about it to friends and or to people and see their responses. And you know, people treated us like we had like a disease and people were very supportive. And then, I, you know, I also observed and had situations where people would um, you know, treat me differently if I shared about my dad. So I chose, you know, I, my plan was not talk about it, avoid it. And then, you know, that kind of built up and built up over the years until my teens, um, it, you know, I sort of, it started to manifest me, me running away from this wasn't really working out. You know, I started to drink a lot um, and do everything I possibly could to sort of avoid the pain, right? And it just, that didn't work out. <laughs> you know, got, had, you know, thoughts of taking my own life. I felt for a long time destined to follow my dad's footsteps. If, if things didn't go right for me, I felt like that was the way I'd go. Yeah. You know, it was like the example set. And essentially, like pointing the victim big time in a lot of you know, a lot of uh, a lot of ways. And then, right, had this chance to go to Australia when I was seventeen, and in a pretty bad space. I was doing well bodyboarding with in the ocean, but on you know, on land, I wasn't doing very well. I was opportunity to go visit my dad's good friend John David, and right as you said, he had I didn't know it at the time that his dad took his own life when he was a kid. And each the first day I was there, I remember we took this long walk. And I had last time I'd seen John David and his wife Sarah, I was five years old in Australia, last time I was mm-hmm. in Australia. So it had been a number of years. How old were you were you now? Seventeen. Back? Okay. Yeah, yeah, so I'm back at seventeen. So um, I had this long walk with John David in Perth. It's a beautiful day, beautiful city, you know, along this river. And he, you know, shares with me that he shares all about you know, memories of my dad and I'm sort of all up, like, I'm like, oh, shit, he's talking about my dad. You know, like, I'm going to have to talk about it, feeling freaked out. And then he shares with me, you know, this um, traumatic, you know, intimate story about him losing his dad when he was a teenager or young, younger, when he was 11 or 12. And he shared, 
you know, it was very similar his experiences of not being able to, not being able to talk about it, feeling the shame, feeling the stigma, and that it, you know, in the long run, that it didn't work to avoid this. And here he was, you know, this is, he was in his 50s at the time, he was a super successful person, um, you know, financially, and, all, and all, in a great family, all sorts of, all sorts of ways. And, he, and I was like, damn, here's someone who had been through what I've been through and had chosen a different path. And I think because he had been through it, I felt comfortable talking about it. And it was this, we had this beautiful exchange where I felt, you know, I shared like all the stuff that had been weighing on me so heavy for a long, long time. And it was, I think the biggest shift for me, it was the beginning of me talking about it. But then also he, I think, challenged me a bit at the end of the, my time with him to, you know, see, not only stop running away from it, but see if you can learn something from it. Mm. And so it was almost this like 180 right. degree shift and to, to face all the stuff that I was scared of, which set me off on a on sort of a journey to discover uh, what happened with my dad and what I could learn from yeah, major perspective shift, right? I mean, you were talking about, like you said, feeling a bit predestined. And, and I know that you had some, you know, anecdotal examples of, you know, even doctors and stuff like that's kind of showing concern and thinking that, you know, you were inevitably going to end up suicidal or whatever it was. And that must have been pretty tough to shake that belief after how ingrained it had become from other people. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, there's an interest, there's a, an interesting aspect, and I'm not an expert in this, but there's, you're right. There is, I think, evidence to suggest that if you have suicide in your family, you're kind of you're more likely to, do, or depression. In your family. Yeah, and whether that's higher proponency too. Yeah. yeah, and so, right, and that's I think from that perspective, sharing that I think is important. But I, my interpretation of that, right, is also I'm screwed. Like, or I don't have a choice. Now. And I think that that is a really dangerous. Um, and part of that is my interpretation, but it's a dangerous thing to play. Like, right, it's like. There's two sides that is this is there's an aspect of this that's that you have to be aware of. And then also you have free will and choice and the ability to choose your yes. perspective on this situation. Yeah. A ton of control realistically. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. I think that that conversation was the beginning of me realizing that I had some say in this. Uh-huh. Well, I think it's pretty incredible that, you know, it seems like obviously that was a bit of a catalyst experience, but that you set out on this, as you call it, quest, you know, to kind of, of who your dad was in, in all of his humanity, you know, not just, you know, find things that are reaffirming of what, you know, optimistic, you know, viewpoints you already held of him, but like, you were very active in seeking out people in his life from various, you know, periods of his life that, and, and you were prodding, you know, you were like, hey, what's, you know, yeah, I want to hear these good memories, but like, what, what were his flaws, you know, and yeah. I thought that was super cool and very, mature and certainly pretty evolved of you to to really want to get this whole picture you know his light and his dark side and i imagine that that was probably just very helpful for you to hear but also i guess i wanted to ask you what you thought the importance was of being able to to really understand anybody um not just based on what we can see and what we know of them but kind of looking at the beliefs that they hold you know, the values that, that have influenced them to make them who they are, as well as the decisions they make and just how important that perspective or component is to really like connecting and understanding somebody fully. Yeah. I mean, right. I think it was when I went, when I set out and talked to different people, it was right, like, I wanted to get a whole picture. That was my goal. And I think I understood, you know, I, a lot of the stuff that I was seeking would remain unknown because a lot of that kind of just was in my dad's head and you know, not necessarily shared, but I, you know, I, like you said, I kind of met with people that knew him in, as a child or, you know, childhood friends or family and people that knew him in college and, and in work and swimming and all these different things. And I began to kind of put together this picture, but I think, you know, more to your, your question, I think we, you know, we all have, right. These, the light and the dark. And there's, um, I think it's just, it was learning more about my dad helped me to reflect on like my shadow side as well. And I was holding, you know, a lot of a lot of similar stuff and helped me to slowly kind of uncover that. But I think just in terms of people in general, I, to be aware that we're all holding, you know, a lot of stuff and there's a lot that, you know, we can't see from the from the outside. It's just it's helpful to 
peace of mind for perspective and, and no idea where people, you know, what people have been through and where they're coming from. Just like, I think it's helpful to be more empathetic. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. It definitely helps with your compassion and empathy just to, even just to assume that there's something at all, like changes the way you, you look at somebody in terms of there being some difficulty or, or you know, life trauma that they've had to go yeah. through. Um, and I think it's easy for us to forget that and kind of be so caught up in our own. I know how layered and how complex my life is, but. And there's, I think a, what I learned from this too, was that there was, I mean, there was so much, so much that I learned and then there's so much unknown stuff about my dad. And so, and, and I just keeping that in mind too, that there's so much unknown about everyone that we come across and so much mystery and so much potential for discovery that it's pretty, uh, it's pretty incredible. And it's easy to kind of lock in like, you know, here's, Said, is this everyday? You know, you know, mm-hmm. and there's all these, uh, all these layers, right? Well, I mean, you know, not to be cheesy about it, but you know, here we are writing our own stories, and it would be doing anybody a disservice to read, you know, the first chapter and close the book or first page, you know, and think that you've understood somebody, you know. For sure. Yeah. Well, it seems like a lot of, um, you know, a lot, a lot of really valuable processing and closure came out of this quest that you set out on to get to know your dad in a holistic sense and um at the same time one of the things that you write about was upon returning from these experiences that you you had kind of convinced yourself you know in a conscious way that that you had done the necessary work that you had made the progress and that you know you were you would change that you're free and clear kind of you know in a way or that you'd you'd clean the slate so to speak and and then meanwhile upon um, it seemed like there were all these paradoxes that began to emerge in your life that, you know, were, were sprouting up kind of like weeds all around you and, and you became all of a sudden shocked with how, <laughs> how much work you still had left to do. Um, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about some of those paradoxes that popped out for you. But also for me, the big takeaway point was something you spoke to, which was, you know, the difference between the cognitive understanding of a concept or something that's complex and the kind of deep, you know, somewhat spiritual understanding that comes just from experiencing something and just the difference between those two things. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. So that was my, after the conversation with John David, go out on this quest and I literally created a list of people to talk to and kind of questions that I want to answer. Wanted to answer. And wow. It was like checking the boxes, right. I, you know, went to uh, South Africa to meet with, People who knew my dad, you know, family and friends who knew my dad when he was a kid, check the box. Um, you know, go back. I went back to Australia a second time, check the box, and 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 that's kind of how it was. It was like um, get these get these questions answered, check the boxes, go on these trips, and I'll have it taken care of, figured out, mm-hmm. right? And I do that and expect him to kind of be in the free and clear. And it was exactly as you said, right? It's the I think I had. Uh, intellectual understanding of kind of what my dad had gone through and some of the, and some of the lessons I learned were, you know, that, you know, it doesn't really work out when you always, you know, to always be the best, right. There needs to be some acceptance. You know, if your if your values are only on the external stuff, like money, you know, image status, uh, you know, at some point those things are transient. If you know those things become compromised, then what's left. And so it's like, Oh, yeah, internal motivation. I'm going to be accepting. I had these sort of like, you know, mantras or lessons that I took away, but they hadn't really, the embodiment wasn't there, right? It was like the initial understanding. And it took a number of years, I think, for that to really, and a lot of more, a lot more challenges, right? Like, um, I kind of thought I had this at this, during this time, I was a competitive bodyboarder, professional bodyboarder. And I thought I'd kind of let go of the need to be the best. And then I ended up having, uh, ended up getting a hip injury kind of out of the blue and laid me up, ended up having surgery. And I, you know, here I was before this thinking like intellectually, yeah, I'm like, I'm cool. You know, just as I am, you know, not being the best or not or without my, without my special mm-hmm. sport. And then when I was laid up, I totally lost my shift. And sort of ironic, you know, I came to see that I had, uh, yeah, like in, in had a lot of the same sort of deep beliefs that my dad did, you know, and it's not unique to my dad. I think they're universal things like, and so the, the, the embodiment piece, I think is an ongoing piece, right? Right. It's not, it's not like there's ever a destination with that. 
I think that's sort of what I came to. Yeah, yeah. Not, well, not like well, even, even and, writing the book, you know, you finish the book, oh, I'm done. And yeah, yeah, like, okay, close that. Yeah, move on. Out. No, it's it's a life practice, right? It's, you're, you're never finished entirely. Um, well, and like you said, you know, when you were laid up from the injury, like, and you started losing it, you know, I think one of the realizations you, you talk about in the book is just how you didn't realize how attached you were to, to your physical capabilities, to your athleticism and to these extrinsic value points. And it is kind of funny that it seems like more often than not, I, I think a lot of us do this in ways where we look at our mother or our father figures and we obviously take some lessons of things to be like and then a lot of lessons of things not to be like. Right. And it seems like more often than not, the things that we focus on not being like and like running away from almost inevitably wind up finding their way back into our life at some point, yeah, you know? Absolutely. And it's kind of funny that we keep doing that. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's that great uh, Thoreau quote that you have in the beginning where I think I'm, I might be paraphrasing this wrong, but it's, you know, we spend our whole life fishing only to realize it's not fish we're after. Right. And I think a lot of times you need to, or we need to uh, pursue those, those things and then experience what, you know, I guess experience that infulfillment or whatever to, um, to relate to, you get more of embodiment of it. Sure. Sure. You had, you had a chapter later in the book called die before you die. And that is playing on the, on the Buddhist metaphor of, of kind of killing or absolving yourself of, of past life experiences, you know, like letting go and, and cutting ties to those concepts and to those archetypes in a lot of ways. And um, I thought it was a really great metaphor for you to use, you know, and I think that, like you said, despite the mental perception of having moved on, that obviously there's a lot of work at all times that we can be doing, you know, with our past. And we're just wondering kind of what die before you die meant to you at the time or, or, you know, what you, how you applied that to your process? Yeah. Great question. So. Grasshopper. Grasshopper. Yeah. <laughs> I went, I had an opportunity to go back to Australia uh, a second time um, in my mid twenties. And I uh, went back to Perth and I met with um, my dad's cousin. His name is Tim. And he was, the guy who spent a lot of time with my dad right before he died, my dad died in Perth. And he told me this story about, about having been with my dad a few weeks before he died. And he was just in a huge, like, you know, like super down, like, uh, he's been in some financial troubles, a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff weighing on him. And it was, you know, it was clear that he had a lot of stuff on And he shared with me that the day before my dad died, they went on every night they would go on this walk, every evening they'd go on a walk along the river in the neighborhood. And he said the day before he died, it was totally different. And he was like, totally at peace. Mm-hmm. And kind of like noticing the birds and noticing the sights and all these things. And, and just like, yeah, something had shifted at the time. Think about, like, oh, well, maybe he's around the corner and he's going to get better. And then the next day, you know, found dead. And uh, I talked to him, like, you know, what do you think? That it, you know, it doesn't really make sense. And he's like, well, I thought about this one. I think, you know, what happened is he had made his decision the day before. And then he would, you know, he would take his life and, um, and then he was sort of free. And I, it took me a little while to realize this, but I, I thought, what a crazy... Right. All this, he had a lot of, my dad had a lot of like really legit, legit problems mm-hmm. to sort out. But with making the decision to end his life, all of them were gone. Mm-hmm. And, I, and there was that window between when he made the decision to take his life and when he died. And that went and, 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 that went, and that he was, you know, and I was like, what if he could do that and then not die? With the caveat of not death. <laughs> and it occurred to me that, you know, this is like, this is, this is like, that is the essential sort of, to me, that's what die before you die means. It means letting go of what you, you can't control. And, and I began to kind of see if I could put that into practice. And that was, mm. ended up being a, you know, I think again, it's, it's a ongoing practice. It's not like a one-time thing necessarily. But, you know, my dad ended up, incredible teacher to me yeah that's incredible for sure i mean i think that like you said it's 
you had a very literal example of death in, in, in this metaphor, but like you said, you, you were able to see the, the greater insight of that you know, lesson, which was that this isn't a literal death. This, you know, a metaphorical, symbolic death is what is necessary to have that release and to find that kind of peace, like you said. But it, it is very surreal in general to think about how a decision like that can absolve and settle the mind of all of the worries and, and just friction in, in life. You know, it's like it's, it's pretty crazy that someone can find peace in their decision to just let go. Yeah. Like that. And of course, it doesn't require you taking your life to do that. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like what if you could make that shift and keep, yeah. keep going? It's incredible. A metaphorical sort of letting go. Yeah. One of the things that you did early on in the book through through your initial quest, which was really cool, was you kind of you boiled it down, all these experiences and stories and, and whatnot, and you kind of had these takeaway life lessons that you had formed. And I thought it was really cool that you did these kind of two waves of looking at these things differently. You had your initial impressions and your, you know, like we said, your cognitive intellectual understanding at the time of what they meant. And then there was a secondary wave where you kind of went back later. I think it was a couple of years later, if I'm not mistaken, the timeline, but, and you kind of literally rewrote and revised what those takeaway points were and made them your own. And like you had your own insights that you had formed instead of just taking cues from what was being given to you and, and literally applying those. I was wondering if maybe you could just talk to those lessons. Um, the first one, I think it's really cool the way you did this, where you, you know, you literally just wrote down the initial lesson, crossed it out, replaced the words. And so it's cool for us to see like how that evolution occurs in a, in a concise way. The first lesson being the initial takeaway was racing through life, which was very much so a component of your father's approach to everything. And you, you transitioned that into slow down. So well, what's that lesson all about? Yeah. And I think just to, to add on that, um, before I jump into that, I think my initial ones, my initial lessons were, it was almost like what not to do, uh, right? Is That was part of it. Uh-huh. And and there's something I think that you can, that can be effective. And sure. it's also, I think, helpful to also be able to reframe it in more of a, in a positive. Be able manner. to replace it with a, an activator. Yeah. That's positive. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, you know, just like as a reminder to slow down, I think that was, and we touched upon this, but my dad, right, was groomed from a young age to be this uh, ultimate competitor. And he, you know, the idea was like train super hard, train harder than anyone. And then when you race, be the first to the finish line. And that was, you know, it's pretty straightforward, like just charge. And, um, you know, I came to see, and this is, you know, that, that, that may work really well in a race, but not super well in life when there's a little bit more nuances and, you know, and it's not quite a straight line, right? So, right. you know, a reminder to take a deep breath and slow it down. Mm-hmm. You know? Enjoy the journey as well. Yeah, yeah. the journey for sure. And it was, I think that was one thing I heard over and over from people that, that knew my dad well, my mom included, was that he was like always, always fixated on the next thing, the next mm-hmm. goal, the next thing. And it, and he had, that served him well in, in a number of ways. And I think that, that drive is important. Mm-hmm. And also to balance that with some appreciation for what you have absolutely take us through the next couple yeah so lesson two um the initial one was focusing on money image and status cross that out and it's um, focused on personal growth relationships and helping others and right that's just a shift from um basically external motivation having your values in you know money image status all that stuff to um the stuff that's more internal that it's you know maybe not as uh, obviously tangible but I think these are the things, and there's the studies to back this up, that, that in the long run, like, keep us fulfilled and happy. And, yeah, I think placing values there. Mm-hmm. You know, Rather than being dependent on external yeah. Sub- yeah. validators or support or conditions, yeah. For sure, for sure. And it's not to say that, mm-hmm. you know, like, money's not important or these things, you know, aren't important. But, um, again, it needs to be balanced, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then the uh, third one, you know, it's all and nothing that's crossed out and says both and. Yeah, I mean, this is a, I think it, it goes along with some of the other ones, but for my dad, it was, everything was really black and white, you know, all or nothing, winning or losing, you know, if he wasn't the best, he was a failure. And I kind of, you know, took that on a lot of it. And so both and is saying, you know, um, maybe there's like more, more shades than black and white and that, you know, you can go out there, like, let's say you're racing or competing, go out there, get your basket, get your all, maybe you win. Awesome. 
maybe they'll win. That's awesome too. Yeah, I think you can apply this to a lot of different things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just the, also the value of going through, you know, loss too. For sure. Or, you know, the lessons you learn. For sure. Yeah. You know, not that it's devoid of any merit to do something shy of winning. It's like, no, no, there's, there's a lot of growth and importance in just showing up and being challenged. For sure. Disappointment. Yeah. And I think it's easy to take this step and be like, well, you know, hear this. It's like, well, then you're not, you know, what are you doing? You're not, you're not winning. You're just a loser. You're not <laughs> yeah. Like you're not first, you're, you're last. Here. Yeah. You know that, that. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing to challenge because I, I like, I still love to, you know, I love to surf. I love to be in various, mm-hmm. you know, play beach volleyball, play different things. And I love to compete at a high level, um, not doing it professionally, but I think you can still compete at a really high level and win. And your value is not tied up in winning or losing. And to feel about like what it feels like to lose, like it's a really important thing. It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, next one: fighting with reality, crossed out, making friends with reality, making friends with what is. Again, sort of uh, similar ties with some of the other ones, but yeah, that was another kind of ongoing thing with my dad. I think it was just there was a, like a lack of flexibility right yet there's an issue he knew one way to get through it it's like charge forward like just keep on pushing forward and you know in some some issues you know you need to step back and look around look for different options different paths right yeah and so it's a bit of that acceptance yeah, yeah. And, and you spoke in that lesson to the point about how you think it's super key to you know develop and cultivate this mindset of, of curiosity and, and inquiry rather than becoming rigid or closed off to the possibilities because that's something that can motivate you for the rest of your life if you, if you find that mindset and that perspective right i mean for sure life becomes real boring once you start just thinking there's nothing else left to learn right <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely and like there's a lot of stuff i mean we can't control a lot of stuff mindset and stuff but there's a lot of stuff out of our control and um you know, you're in traffic, you know, get super pissed and second I help the traffic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you're right. I mean, there's a certain level of attachment that has to be dissolved, you know, in order to, to find that balance, you know, and, and find that harmony with reality, like you said, because it's just, it's not always going to go your way. You right. know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think that the, just to close it out, one of the really cool, again, someone at anecdotal experiences that you shared was, was your experience years later sitting in, in the park, you know, down the street here, a local park and on a kind of a cool rainy day and you had the park all to yourself and you were sitting below your favorite tree and finding some cool space to relax and going through some old memories and stuff like that. And it, it seemed like you had a bit of a realization or, or kind of an aha moment for yourself where you were looking at, you talk about the rain falling on your hand and, and you start thinking about the water cycles that you learned from and just wondering if you could kind of elaborate on that takeaway. Sure, yeah, that was at a time where I was, I had surgery. I, I was kind of in the process of, you know, I, making friends with reality, you could say. You know, I, was, I had gone from resisting a lot of things to, um, and I just went to the park this day and it was a beautiful day, spring day, and it started to rain. And I like found myself back under a tree, getting like little droplets on me, and and um, you know, I've been reflecting on my dad, and and I'm thinking about how you know I felt this really strong connection to him when I was in the ocean, and then you know, the rain came about, and I think these little droplets on my hands, and and um, fairly simple like science, you know, the water mm-hmm. you know, from <laughs> the ocean coming over and raining down, and and I just it was just a moment of really clearly seeing that you know if my dad's in the ocean. He's in the clouds, you know, in the clouds, he's in the rain and in the trees and then basically everything. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's in everything. This really incredible feeling of you know, connection. Yeah. I think it's cool. I think, yeah, a really nice reminder and way to be with my dad. And, and it wasn't based on needing to be a bastard. Yeah. Or, or following in his exact footsteps. Yeah. Just sitting and looking around. What a cool way to feel his presence in such an omnipresent way, yeah. you know, with water, obviously, like you said, being everywhere in our lives. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Very cool, man. That's awesome. Um, well, I'll just I'll close out with you and, and ask um, our couple of our signature questions. Sure, sure. And um, you, you, I've had you on for another episode somewhat recently. Oh, yeah. So, oh. so you, you may have to pick a new one here. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, so what is your earliest memory of water? Yeah, I think, you know, it's just, 
as early as I can remember, it's La Jolla. It's with my mom and dad, wind and sea, crawling around, exploring the sand and like, you know, waves rushing up and kind of like freaking me out and then rushing back out. And I kind of like my mom being with me and my dad being with me. And so just the sense of it being like such an unknown, crazy thing. Uh-huh. You were on the borderline, yeah, the shoreline. The, yeah, the borderline. Yeah. You know, in La Jolla, it's like steeper beaches, kind of more, and it's like more. It's a lot more gradient. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're kind of in the... Yeah, it's a, it's a it's transitional a, place. Yeah, exactly. Frontier. Yep. Precipice. <laughs> what else we got? Yeah. <laughs> Outer limits. Uh, so what's one thing that you've learned from water that you would say enables you to better surf the waves of life? I think, you know, water to me represents the unknown in a lot of ways. And now, you know, kind of from early on being like, this is a scary thing that could suck me out into the depths. And even as I got older, like swimming out mm-hmm. to see at the coat, you know, and I just, you know, you can see the bottom and then you can't see the bottom. And it's like, what's going on here? You know what I mean? We have no idea. This is scary. And I think that keeping that, I think it's like pure curiosity. It's like scary, but it's curious. And uh, I think that like, Keep that in mind for just stuff that's outside of deep sea, you know, like talking to a person. There's like the right. equivalent of the deep water within that person or with anything. And so I think it's like that keeping that, that feeling of the unknown and, and curious perspective. Hell yeah. That's a good one. I like that. Well, I really appreciate you coming back on. And um, where is somewhere we can direct people to find out more about your book and or where they can pick it up or... What's a good resource for people if they want to get in touch with you? Sure, yeah, yeah. So it'll launch on Amazon and uh, on March twentieth, Tuesday, March twentieth. Mm-hmm. So it'll be up on Amazon and bookstores and uh, Ingram Spark, Goodreads, all that stuff. Awesome. And um, my website sebastianslogan.com. Cool. And my email is sebastian at natureunplugged.com. Right. Awesome. I'll get that in the show notes so people can have links to that. Awesome. And I yeah. just want to say um, thank you very much for taking the time. I appreciate being on. Again, yeah. Round two. Yeah. Stoked to have you on. Yeah, it's great. No, these are, these are amazing um, creations and works you've, you know, that you've been able to conjure up out of your own heart and experience. And I think that really shows in a very authentic way and it comes through in your writing as well as when you speak about it. So really stoked that we could give you a, you know, platform to speak to some of these things. And hopefully, like you said, you know, as part of your intention to get the word out there to some other people to, you know, not be so afraid of the stigmas around difficult things in life and, and to find that more often than not, you've got something shared around that stuff with other people around you, you know, and to not be afraid to, to ask for help, but also be proactive and looking out for one another. For sure. Yeah. I think that that's my intention with this is to do what my friend John David did for me, which is offer that space to have a conversation and maybe realize you're not alone. And you know, if I can do that for other people or, or start to facilitate that, conversation that's my my mission awesome ashes in the ocean ocean. hell yeah dude that's gonna do it for our show today everybody if you enjoyed what you heard in your time with us please take a moment to subscribe and rate us on itunes you can find our episodes there are on soundcloud and stitcher if you were turned on by anything in today's episode please take the time to tell a friend or a loved one about the show. It's listener recommendations and support from people like you that make this show possible. If you think this show deserves to grow and or adds value to your life, you can contribute to your support by donating on Patreon, an easy-to-use crowdfunding platform for creators such as myself. If you're interested in any of the guests or topics covered in the episode, you can find further information about them in the show notes section on iTunes or in the blog posts on our website. Lastly, if you have any thoughts or questions or feedback, any ideas for future guests or topics, you can reach out to me directly at our website at www.offshoreinsightspod.com. That's Offshore Insights, followed by the letters P-O-D.com. Today, I leave you with a song by Grammatic called Chillaxin' by the Beach. Until next time, be well, enjoy the ride, and keep in touch.